Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everybody, Kristen Walker here, and I am co-hosting with Frank King, the mental health comedian. Frank, thanks for coming back on the show. (laughs) I am delighted. It was um, all part of a plea bargain. It was this or jail, and here I am. (laughs) And we have someone we've already interviewed on, and uh, you're going to do the introductions today. That's right. I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, <laughs> See, that's why I made you do it. A fine young man, uh, as we used to say in the comedy business, a funny man, a foot of mine. Uh, comedy clubs and colleges all over the country. Not true. He is a serious um, mental health uh, professional. His name is Cody. And we're going to pick the most, uh, the easiest pronunciation, Gauthier. Uh, and is. he is here. Is that close enough, Cody? <laughs> you got it. Thank you. You're so kind, old man. And the uh, topic today is something near and dear, apparently, to Cody's heart, uh, which is the imposter syndrome. I think Cody and I were talking about it on the phone after the previous podcast. And I I think, Cody, if I'm not mistaken, I said, wow, that would make a great podcast. You should come back on. I sort of invited you back on to Kristen's show, which seems a little (laughs) presumptuous. But um. Anyway, Kristen liked the idea, and here you are, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I discovered, Cody, after we chatted, talked to a number of people, and it, apparently it's more common than I realized. And as we're getting started here, a friend of mine said, when we're talking about it, ask him if there's a connection between that, imposter syndrome, and people who self-sabotage. So mm. it's something oh, like we can circle back and... Yeah, circle back because it seems like they would go together. If you think you're an imposter, perhaps you know yourself stabs up, but you would know better than I. So let's talk about it. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not surprised that after we learn a little bit about um, imposter syndrome, I think people who will be listening to the podcast will say, "Oh man, I know someone like that," or maybe that's me. Um, and I think the the best way I can describe it is like it's the dark cloud that sort of is is always in our rearview mirror. And and if you're a high functioning professional or a high functioning student, um, everything like that, um, I think the best way to describe it is sort of like you always, even when you feel like you have it all together, there's this small part of you that thinks it's all going to fall apart because for one reason or another, you can't keep 
whatever it is up at the at the rate that you're going. So that think of like the again someone who's doing well in their career or doing well in school and and saying I'm just waiting for the the cards to fall um, because I don't feel like I can do it. Um, so it's it's always that that little piece of insecurity that keeps us from appreciating where we are in our life in the moment. Um, it's really hard to deal with, and I think more people have than we think. And it's really it's, it's interesting to talk about, but then it's also interesting on my end because the reason why I think it hits so close to home is because I've gone through it at every step of my career. Mm-hmm. That I sort of I, I very much am self-aware that that's a part of my process. So it's really well, interesting. And for, the, for those who do not know what that is, and I'm, I have a general idea, but uh, could you give us the 411 on um, what exactly the syndrome entails? <laughs> Sure. So the way um, it's described is in like the, it's not in the DSM-5, so it's not a clinical diagnosis, It's but it's more of something that like mental health professionals have like their ear to. They sort of like, it's a one of those like mental note things where you can see it and it's part of other, either anxiety, depression, things like that. Um, but it's a, a chronic self-inflicted belief of inadequacy and incompetence. So, and this is despite clear evidence that indicates the complete opposite. So um, again, it's like someone doing well, perceived to be doing so well in the eyes of everyone else, um, and objectively is doing amazing work, amazing in their school relationships, et cetera, et cetera, and they feel as though that they're inadequate um, or, and it is self-inflicted. So it, it's it's more of like an internal process type thing. Cody, how long have you been aware that you had this syndrome? Well, I noticed that actually in, in graduate school, um, because I, I was, I had gotten my um, second year internship at the Yukon Counseling and Mental Health Center. I was ecstatic. Um, but that appreciation and sort of like my the appreciation of my of myself for getting that position quickly sort of like melted away. It went from like one second of fleeting happiness to sort of like this internal fear that like, ooh, like how could I have gotten this? And and that's always sort of all <laughs> Yeah, like, ooh, that's me? Like I, I got that? Like they interviewed so many other people. Like um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's followed me throughout I mean a little tinge here and there and I've learned to sort of like get you know cope with it a little bit but you know every new position I get um or every every new um uh, whatever if I complete something that I didn't think I could complete or whatever else um it sort of takes that appreciation of that sense of like victory and, and when you're supposed to be proud of yourself and it sort of strips a little part of it away to say like yeah no you haven't got there yet or like, you know, you don't, yeah. it, it shouldn't have been you. They must've made a mistake. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I totally, I, my gosh, I've felt like that many times. I'm sure I have had that. I don't have it anymore, thank God, but I am almost 50. So there's something to say with age that maybe you learn to not have that because you've had so many experiences that you, um, you're like, okay, look, come on. I have fallen flat on my face. I've been done really well so many times now. I'm definitely not an imposter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it, when you try something new, though, I mean, we're, you know, we're creating a video now to go with what we do in mental health, not just radio. And I guess a younger me would have been like, what are you doing? You don't know anything about the camera. You don't know how to do a video. Um, what is that about? You're going to show up to do it and everyone's going to realize you don't know what you're doing. So that's some, that's some of that yeah. imposter syndrome, isn't it? 
that's a perfect example actually of I will be found out somehow. Yes. Um, even if I, even if, even if there's so much evidence that you've done it correct in the past, you know? Yeah. And now I just don't care. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to show up and wing it. <laughs> it just, and I don't. That is actually, <laughs> that I'm so glad you said that because that is part of the answer. Hmm. Do tell. I like it when I'm, I've evolved in at least some way, somehow. <laughs> well, <laughs> Part of part of quote unquote battling imposter syndrome or sort of taking your life back from that that sense of imposter syndrome is being able to trust yourself and and just to know that you naturally have in the past done things and saying like even if I winged this I would I would I would be okay like because I'm confident mm. enough or not not even so much confident I think I'm I'm settled enough in in who I am and what I've done that there doesn't need to be that part of me that's always um, protecting myself from, um, from either screwing up or everything crumbling. Uh, Cause You're that's just all it is. Or... Yeah. It's a defense mechanism. Do you think too, some of it is cause I'm okay with failure. Cause I know that failure, I've learned so much from failures, which I don't even call them that anymore. They're just stepping stones on the way to success, which people can roll their eyes about, but that's really how I look at those things um, now where before it was like, you're a failure, you know? So I don't even get nervous. Like I get nervous, like, how's it going to go? Am I going to make, uh, are other people going to be disappointed in the outcome? But I don't think of myself in that way, but boy, did I used to. And I wonder, Frank, I mean, you get up on stage in front of Yo, hundreds God. of people. What, what do you, how does, does this resonate with you at all? No, actually. Um, well, I'm glad you asked because I thought about that before the, uh, I was discussing this with my friend who suggested, ask him about self-sabotage. Uh, he and I agreed. Um, and I, by the way, I, I opened up the summer at, uh, Amphitheater in Michigan for Randy Travis in front of 5,000 people. Oh and, my gosh, wow. Yeah, stepping on stage without a musical instrument, without a score, without lyrics, you know, without a band, 10,000 eyeballs, and never even missed, uh, you know, my heart never even started, you know, picked up a beat. It's just the way I'm wired. Um, I will tell you this, when I did my first bodybuilding contest, I'm standing on stage in essentially my underwear in front of 400 people. That was a little nerve-wracking. Um, but, uh, yeah, bad dream come true. Why am I standing up here in my underwear and oh, with oil um, all over myself? Yeah, and and, and the, you know, I had the spray tan, and the guy went a little overboard. You have light, darker, affirmative action. I got affirmative action. I, it's uh, hope nobody, yeah, is that Frank in blackface? No, he's in black body. What the heck happened there? Um, I know, uh, oh, boy. no, you know. My friend Sayan, who has a, a condition called racing mind syndrome, which I think we should have him on at some point to talk about exactly what that is. Uh, it's yeah. just a little bit rare. He's very successful. He started a marketing company. He didn't have a marketing degree. He just enjoyed marketing. He read about it. He has a, I, what's the word? And I, that, I, 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 the memory. It's a memory, um, photographic, photographic memory kind of a thing. Um, anyway, um, he agreed with me in that we both, I, I just assumed I was going to succeed. And when I succeeded, I had no problem. I felt very comfortable where I was. I didn't feel like I was, you know, um, an imposter and that someone was going to find out and take it away from me. And I've sort of lived my life that way. I, I'm, 
I'm in a hotel and it's it's a giant convention hotel and to get from where I am to the bathroom is like this incredibly long walk. But if I cut through the bowels of the hotel, you know, where the staff always goes, it's a very short walk. And all you have to do to get away with that is you go through the door and pretend like you belong. And so mm. it's like you own the place. Mm. And I have, I have no problem, you know, pretending like uh, I belong there and I get away with it all the time. So I have the, I have the reverse. Now, here's, here was his question, Cody and Kristen. He said, is the reverse of the imposter syndrome are you a high-functioning, pleasant, narcissist, and sociopath? I was just going to say that. Are you a sociopath? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. And I I'm would a, say, I'm a nice no. Narcissist, sociopath. Because uh, I just have this opinion of myself. My first wife said to me, what makes you think you can do stand-up comedy? It never occurred to me that I couldn't. You know, what makes you think I can't? Uh, mm-hmm. so I have the reverse, I think. <laughs> I, remember you, I, remember you, I remember you saying that to me when we had talked on the, uh, the phone when you asked what imposter syndrome was and I gave you sort of my working definition of it you were like oh I have the opposite of that and I was like wait <laughs> tell me more <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah you don't think you know, yeah imposter syndrome is not in the DSM neither is the opposite of it uh, at this point it's just uh, we're breaking new ground here <laughs> you know, I think I, I think there's definitely something to be said for like the fake it till you make it type of, of 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 way of going about things, where it says like I have the confidence and I believe in myself enough to do something, and then you you step into the room like you said you you stepped in and you and you did what you needed to do, and then you sort of if people don't know that, you know, if people think that you fit in, then guess what you fit in, um, and right. that, if you can live your life that way too, and it's working out well. Something else, something else you know, having. I'm sorry, Kristen. I'm just so excited that, you know, <laughs> that I'm out of the closet now with this syndrome. Um, he he also said, Cody, and we, he and I share this, in that we've both been in positions. He was selling insurance. Obviously, I was selling insurance, and I was married to my high school sweetheart. It was wonderful. But I just, I would wake up. I remember very vividly waking up at, in the hotel the morning of her sister's wedding, and thinking to myself, these are nice people. They're wonderful people. Insurance business is a great business, but I am in the wrong life. I am I am made for better than this. I, I'm supposed to be doing something entirely different. I got to get out. And yeah. that was that was what part of what pushed me out of the marriage, out of the insurance business, and into comedy. So yeah, I've, I've had the reverse syndrome my entire life. That I'm so glad that like you're I'm so glad that you're on this podcast, Frank, because that's exactly sort of how we talk about um, moving forward. If you do feel like you're you have like that imposter syndrome is taking sort of like compassionate bets on yourself and saying, like, this is the life that I am in now. And, you know, I can I can I can either be in this life. And I mean, there are things that we do that we we should feel grateful for it. And then that part of us that, that has that imposter syndrome says, like, well, this is this is good enough. Like. I don't want again. I don't want to be found out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I like, and that's and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think what it says to sort of like work on that self compassion is to say, wait a minute. I, I also, I deserve this. And if I feel as though like it's, I, I can push forward, then then I will because I feel like I deserve that as well. And it's not going to be. I'm not worried about the the house of cards falling. I'm going to take an, <laughs> a a sort of compassionate bet on myself because I deserve it, rather than saying it's gonna, it's all going to fall apart if I do. So I might as well just stay here. Mm, interesting. You know, I got, 
I don't think, Cody, I look at television, I sit in a movie, and I'm thinking as I'm in the movie, I look at the screen, I belong up there. Uh, or watching TV, I belong on there. I would be a great celebrity. I would, this, this, I, I'm destined to be I that. want you I'm to be one. Yeah. Me too. I, I'm getting a little long in the tooth, but it's not, not impossible. It's I, not I impossible. Like Look that. at Anthony Hopkins, for God's sake. He didn't do, yeah. you know, I mean, he was obviously working, 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 but, you know, he was, how old was he when he finally, he was like in his mid-50s, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, and I, Cody, I got to tell you, I just, I just, I believe I'm, I know this is probably bad, but I believe I am, you know, that uh, I'm, I, I, I felt that way when I started comedy, stand-up comedy. Um, it sort of fell away with, um, with the bankruptcy and, you know, and the near, uh, near suicide and so forth. But then when I started focusing on, specifically on suicide prevention, speaking only. I, I got my, what's that movie? I got my groove back. I felt like I did when I first started comedy and knew I was in the right place and I was handed places. So anyway. <laughs> that sounds That's so great. Arrogant. No, it isn't <laughs> arrogant. It's, everybody is built differently. I mean, they just are. I, I mean, I know why, you know, and Cody, maybe we should get into that. Like why, where imposter syndrome can stem from. Not, you know, everybody, like we just said, is unique. But for me, I, you know, it was learned because I think my mother and my father both, um, I think that's a generational thing in my family. And there was a lot of abuse yeah. and hiding what was really going on, massive OCD and anxiety, massive amounts of stress and trauma. So, you know, that played into the world is not safe. I'm not really yep. wanted. And so I'm, I constantly have to prove myself in some way, or I have to hide who I really am because it must be awful because these things happened to me as a kid, you know, all that stuff that we can go on ad nauseum. I mean, there's a million reasons, but what, yeah. you know, from you, the counselor perspective, you know, what are some of the other things that, you know, bring this upon uh, some people? It's hard because it's individualized. It's also, mm -hmm. it's cultural. I mean, I think of, I think of everything. Like there's so many environmental factors. You had mentioned a couple of them growing up that sort of cut into what imposter syndrome looks like. Like the thing I, the best example I can use because I work with college age students right now is, is um, think of like the first gen college student coming in, um, you know, struggling through high school with whatever, whatever, it be, whether it be, um, you know, the fact that they didn't have that person who's gone to college. So them coming into college, um, in their first year, if they don't have the right support, then they don't feel like they belong there. And it's, it's threatening and it's sort of like, it's anxiety provoking to even sort of wonder, you know, where, where can I go from here? What are the other opportunities I can have? So at each step of their life, as they start to grow into themselves professionally and personally, and maybe they are ambitious and they're getting, um, getting what they deserve out of what they've put in, they, they always think of that person who never should have even like, it's like, I've never had a reference on what college was supposed to look like or having this, you know, high paying job or having, you know, you can plug in whatever you'd like, but it's being able to, again, by, by repetition, sort of saying like, wait a minute, like these things are coming because I'm putting in the effort in. And, right. and what we explore in therapy is saying like, well, where did that first belief come from that you don't deserve this? Yes. Um, Go to the root. And, Who sold that yeah, to you exactly. first? Who showed that to you first? That's been a big one for me. <laughs> Right. And it's not even, and sometimes it's not even who showed it to you, but like, what did you, what sort of, 
um, perceptions did you take from the world and from yes. your family? Like if you didn't know, if you didn't know it growing up, then you have to sort of figure out where your lot is in life. Um, I know, you know, for me personally, it would always came, what always, um, for me, it, it, I always felt like because in middle school and in, in the beginning of high school, I never really, I was a social butterfly, but I didn't really care about grades. So the, the messaging that I got in my family was like, well, why don't you, why don't you try harder? If you just put in the effort, those sorts of things. And I think I might've acted like, you know, what, for whatever reason, internalized that piece. And then when I started really trying in college, when I found this love for, for, you know, for this work and I started trying and I started, you know, seeing the benefits of what I put in, um, I kept thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, what is this? It was just something new to me because I'd never seen success that came mm-hmm. from me actually trying and putting in that work. So for, it, for me, it was sort of self-inflicted. I didn't care. And then when I started <laughs> to care, I was like, wait, I'm getting something back from this. <laughs> <laughs> you had low expectations, my friend. Come on now. <laughs> I did. And that's the, that's the hardest thing to like look to be able to reflect back on and say like, I really had low expectations of myself. And then mm-hmm. when I found out that I was worth more, I had a, I had a tough time settling into to say like, wait a minute, like all these opportunities are here because you, you've sort of tried to reach for them and it's okay to feel, I, it's okay to sit with that discomfort while also saying like, okay, you can be, you can also like be a little bit more compassionate to yourself and say like, I earned these. Cause I always felt like yeah. people give me compliments. I'm like, oh, get away from me. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know anytime anyone in my life has, anyway, we won't even go there. Listeners have heard enough of it, but my listeners. But but yeah, I mean, that whole I've thought about too, like, um, accomplishing something and having, you know, a narcissist, really narcissistic parents that, you know, they're that way from their own wounding, and that this is also generational, but it still makes it easy. It still makes it really hard when you're a kid, to where when you accomplish things, it's, valued only in how it makes them look to other people it's not really your accomplishment it's not about you and then also when I would accomplish something I was like you don't get to steal that from me this is mine so yeah you know this is my so I would not tell like I had won some like in high school I had won uh which is surprising because I was rarely at high school I was either sleeping in my car or surfing but somehow I won some kind of writing contest where I made up a whole story and I made everyone cry and I was like the whole thing was made up but I won this national or maybe it was across the state I don't know competition for writing and I was so embarrassed that they were reading it and that people were looking at me and that my teacher was crying and I was like please don't tell my mother just don't tell my mother that I did this because I, I didn't want it. I was embarrassed for the attention and I didn't want um, it to be sort of taken away from me and made her accomplishment. So that led to what was helpful for me as a kid. And I was promised there's a theme to this, a point to this. What was helpful (laughs) as a kid for me as a survival technique, living in that kind of environment became a hindrance as an adult because in many ways yeah. it turned into imposter syndrome. Yeah. That's, and that's a really, really, really good um, example um, of, of what that looks like coming from that sort of background. Um, the, the thing that I thought of is like, you, you had mentioned it takes different forms and yeah. uh, my brother's not going to mind me bringing this up. Um, but 
him and I are opposites in the sense that um, he is so hyper-focused on, on school and grades and, and being, I mean, he's, he's a genius. Like he knows that I, I mean, when he listens to this, he'll know that like I, that I very much believe it. The, the hard thing to hear from him. And I think he knows this as well is that I don't think he truly believes that he can appreciate where he's at in his life as like the valedictorian of his, of his school and of someone who's so high functioning is always and is very ambitious um, and pragmatic. And I think that for him, the imposter syndrome, if you want to like put quotes around that for him is that he needs that edge, that, that edge telling him like, Oh, I'm not good. I'm not good enough yet. I haven't, you know, I'm always comparing myself to someone else or I'm always striving for something more because if you sit with that comfort of saying like, okay, maybe, maybe what, if what I'm doing is enough, then there's that fear that, oh, then I'll lose my edge. And then people will find out really this. So Bryce, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point though. Yes. You, You know, you, you think you're, I mean, part of the reason why I do so much in terms of work and my life is because I never, I don't think I so much think I'm not, I don't, I don't actively sit in, gosh, I don't do enough. I used to do that. Oh my gosh. I used to just, my self talk was horrible. Mm. Now it, I don't do the self talk. I'm constantly rewriting the conversations I have in my head or my friends are editing them with me, which is great. Um, you know, cause I've just had to learn that you have to learn how to do that. Um, but I still have that thing that is an untalked about thing where, um, I, I just sort of operate in a mode of that. I don't do enough. So I always end up doing a hundred thousand things more than maybe <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> and, hey, I've got a list for you. Yeah, it, but it makes, but I, but I kind of operate that way and I'm okay with it now and I get a lot of shit done. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and so here's the thing about imposter syndrome that I think, I don't think we want to give a whole, I, I think imposter syndrome in itself, the, the hard part about it, the thing that I, that we focus on, if I'm talking about it clinically, is that um, we are never, we never feel as though who we are or what we've done is enough. That's the part that's worrisome the and, and it yes. just hurts the individual right so but the the part that is functional and and serves a purpose and is and i think is good about not so much imposter syndrome but that drive is exactly that like the ambition and the drive to to keep shooting for things that 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 you thought once that once were you know unimaginable and and right. always fighting for something more and doing more and taking on more responsibility and i think the caveat that i put in when i talk to clients and now when i talk to myself is are you doing this because you feel like you have to, or are you doing this because this is what's going to get you one step closer to being whatever you want to call it, satisfied or, mm. or complete or fulfilled and, and, and choosing you instead of choosing that part of your brain that says I need to, or people are going to think that I'm this. Right. Right. So how much of a correlation then is there with imposter syndrome to it being about being embarrassed in front of other people. <laughs> you know, Tell me this. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or uh, very much concerned about your projections of what other people will think of you. Uh, well, I don't think we want to be, I, I think the biggest defense, right. And, and is that we don't want to be found out as fraud. Right. Um, 
<laughs> in whatever. And now I don't care. And now I don't. Now I don't care. But yeah, I did forever. Now I'm like, whatever. Call me whatever you I, want. I, I know I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's really good. I think getting to that point is really hard. I can tell yes. you by the way that you're talking about it. That you're like, oh, like I, that laugh tells me, like, oh my gosh, like it's so good to be on the other side finally. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and I think that's the thing is that like we correlate and bear like us feeling insecure about whatever skill, talent, et cetera, that we're, or field that we're in that sort of like promotes those things, values about ourselves. We're always worried that someone's going to find us out as the fraud, whether it be a client in my field mm. or a, or a coworker or a boss. So we, we, we function as if we're getting, we're being chased by someone, like as, as if someone's going to like at some point just pounce on us and say like, and, and sort of like rip the mask off and find out that we're not superhuman. <laughs> and, right. And that, that's the hard part. So I think the correlation with embarrassment is essentially that we're always, we're always on edge because we think that at some point someone's going to find out that we're not who we really, you know, show the world we are. And that, that's hard. Yeah. Frank, what are you thinking? I'm thinking. <laughs> I feel sorry for you, but, too. That's probably what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, man, everything I've ever gotten, I've earned. I, 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 I had, I, <laughs> couple things when um when I was young I guess it's probably my mother's fault I don't think fault is the right word but I had I really did have sort of a sense of entitlement um I and to the point where when I saw my ex-in-laws um after probably five or six seven years after I divorced my first wife we had divorced um I said Carol Tad I was in something I something I would mean to do and they said what apologize for the years between when I was age 16 and 22 and they go you aren't that bad oh come on I was insufferable uh, because I did have a sense of entitlement I used to I used to the family used to go on vacation from Phoenix my wife's family before she was my wife which is my girlfriend um, uh, she was going to University of Arizona I was going to Chapel Hill so I drove out in the summertime, got a little job in Phoenix in the summer where it's hotter than the hinges of hell, as my mother would say. <laughs> and at the end of the summer, her family go to Coronado. They rent a condo. They vacation. Well, I just invited myself along to the condo and the vacation. I mean, it never occurred to me that I couldn't go. Um, the, my mother, I think, um, she, when I was three or four years old, I said to her, can I be a police officer? And she goes, honey, you can be... And you can do anything you set your mind to. So I'm four, five, three, three, four, five. And so I began to think about that apparently. And uh, I said, could I grow hair on my chest? And she said, uh, yes, I believe, you know, you put your mind to it, you grow hair on your chest. And then using kid logic, I trapped her. Uh, I said, could you? <laughs> and she said, well, I, I suppose if I really put my mind to it, uh, you know, I could, uh, I suppose I could. So, I thought everyone's parents, by the way, my friend who also has the, is also a, a, a kind and caring narcissist sociopath. Um, <laughs> he, he, his folks told him the same thing. And, and I know I thought, and he thought everybody's parents told their children these things. Well, when I told my first wife, I was going to be a comedian and she said, what makes you think you can be a comedian? And I said, because my mama told me so. And she <laughs> said out loud, I hate, she told you that. Which tells me what? that not everybody's parents instill yeah. in their children that they can do anything they put their mind to. And so 
I think that's why I don't feel like an imposter because it was burned into my psyche. And matter of fact, the whole uh, hair on the chest thing, anytime anybody in my family did something extraordinary, um, whether it was you know, personally or help somebody out, uh, you know, help somebody do something, you know, um, come through the door in the afternoon. Hey, guys, guess what? I grew hair on my chest. You know, something that might, you figure might not have been able to pull off, but we did. And the other person benefited. Uh, my mom had a friend who was 65, tried to draw Social Security. She born in a cabin in the woods. She didn't have a birth certificate. Well, you can't, you can't get Social Security unless you can prove you were born. And showing up at the Social Security office in the flesh does not do the trick. Right. So mom called in a favor with a senator in D.C. Within a week, the woman had a Social Security check. She, my mom comes through the door that afternoon. Guess what? Grew hair on my chest. We just all assumed <laughs> that, you know, we could do it if we just put our minds to it. So, Well, that's called confidence. That's not narcissism, Frank. So be careful <laughs> labeling yourself as that because <laughs> that's not nothing that you've ever shown in our time working together is in any way narcissistic at all. Ooh, it's just if your goodness. parents give you that kind of. I mean, Cody, you're you're the better one to explain this, but you know, if I had had that kind of encouragement and stuff as a kid, and that was a known thing, you know, uh, I would have had a different experience in life too. I, I can't say it would have been better because I'm glad about everything that went on in my life because um, I like where I have ended up. But, um, but you know, I mean, Cody, don't you think that that's more like that's healthy parenting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also for the for those of you who listen and and think, well, maybe I didn't I I already know that I haven't haven't had those parents. Well, it's not just parents. Um, yeah. Finding a positive role model, someone who can listen to you and hear you for what you've gone through, and to say, well, just because that that's happened doesn't mean uh, you still believing redeeming qualities about about you, the person, and seeing those values, seeing through to those values that you have, whether it be you know I've had I've talked to clients who whether it was a coach or it was a, uh, a teacher, um, and, uh, in some cases a therapist, and a lot of the things that we do as therapists say, like, even though we are that person and we, we want to be that person, we want to get to the point where you start believing in yourself enough that you're able to let people see it so that they can reinforce it um, just like you were, you know, in, in, much, in many cases supposed to get from your parents, right? Um, so yeah, it doesn't just need to be like, I'm so glad, Frank, you had that positive parenting and that's exactly, yeah. there'll be people li listening who are going to be so grateful. They'll be like, yes, I had that experience too. Yeah. And I, I believe <laughs> I did too. <laughs> um, but it also takes so much more to reinforce that, especially for those who, who go without to say like, oh, someone believed in me and maybe I'm allowed to believe in myself. And um, there's so many people at play in the different places that I work at and have worked, you know, I've worked at where people play that role and it's a really really important role for people and, yeah um, and then and then you know this is how interesting and intricate you know mental illness is you know i i've had friends who did have that modeling um when they were a kid from parents yeah. teachers you know whatever and they still had massive anxiety depression bipolar disorder whatever it was that came up for them and they were and they're riddled with self-doubt and so on, because that is the nature uh, in many cases of mental illness. So even oh, with the yeah. healthy parenting they have, so there's just, it's a, it's a unique journey, you know, for everybody. 
Oh yeah, that that could be a whole different podcast. Like we talked about <laughs> niches and those those ad, those adverse childhood experiences and how like there are buffers to sort of rebuild someone's um, someone's sense of self, even if they don't get the most important validation from family and whatever else, or they go through trauma. But sometimes the you know the the negative effects outweigh the you know some of those positive factors, like the coach who goes out of his way to help or et cetera. You can name whatever that is. Right. But yeah, you're so right. It's, it's such an intricate and interesting and yeah, and I mean, really hard process. with you counseling, like I, I mean, I have some friends of mine who, gosh, they're such great parents. I mean, really, they are great parents, and their kids are, you know, mo- some of their kids are doing great, and one of their kids is just absolutely struggling and an addict, you know, already. And they're like, "What did we do wrong?" And it's like, "You didn't do anything wrong. That's why this is a disease," and. Yeah you've been you are great parents but that doesn't guarantee that your child is not gonna suffer and yeah you know just um one one story that i don't think i've ever told what well, my parents will know they, they, they'll listen to this and as they listen to the last one and they'll probably laugh but my most like vulnerable moment in the past like few years with my family was was when i i got into graduate school and i was so like elated that i had gotten into graduate school and I came home that summer and um, my parents sort of sat me down and they were like, look, we're going to help you pay this because I was so worried about the finances. I was like, um, cause I'd already, you know, drowned myself in loans from undergrad. And she said, <laughs> my parents were like, look, we're going to help you through this. And we're going to, we're going to, um, and they had told me sort of how they were going to plan out helping me to pay off those loans so that I could go to school. And I just remember like breaking down crying being and and it was one of those moments where I didn't even know you know when you have no idea you're like you're like oh like oh I'm feeling this and but it was because like I was it was like a mix of of feeling so grateful for them while at the same time feeling like I don't deserve this (laughs) and I knew that wasn't true like I knew that wasn't true because I I was I do live like a really I, I feel so lucky for them and for my life and like at the same time that part of that small part of me was still like you don't deserve this. Why can't you just like, you don't, don't go to grad school, Cody. I don't need them doing this, blah, 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 blah. So uh, it affects everyone. Yep. <laughs> don't yep. laugh when they hear this. Did you ever think that because, okay, and I'm not in any way making a, a judgment call at all. When you sent me the picture of you, you look very young, even for your age, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. So do you ever feel like, some of it is because of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that, <laughs> I think that might be the biggest, the biggest, the biggest piece of the, like, I call that Doogie, ha- Doogie Hauser syndrome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you I, even I, know who that is, cause I think that was before. I, no, I, I, ha- I do know the reference. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think, I, I think, um, that was the biggest part when I can't, you know, like I, you know, I just graduated from graduate school and now you're, you're doing this work as like, you know, independently and you're supposed to have this sense of professionalism. And I did everything I could. I dressed, you know, I dressed well above what I was supposed to to sort of show that professionalism <laughs> and to show that, you know, I tried to grow a little scruff and it didn't work and I did No Shave November and all that. And it just, it did, none of it worked for me. So oh, part of so my, funny. part of me sort of like, battling that imposter syndrome and saying like it's okay like all that matters is the connection you make with the clients and and that's sort of been my saving grace is to say like well wait a minute you know what you're doing you're here for a reason and 
parents parents because in private practice parents will accept that and they'll they'll be able to see from how their their, their you know, son or daughter feeling. or whatever yeah. else like yeah and so like that part of me is sort of almost resolved it was Good. annoying at first I don't know if it was part of the imposter syndrome but it was definitely annoying at first I was like yes I know I look 18 like forget <laughs> about it <laughs> I promise I have a master's degree I am not 12 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I promise I went to school. Like I'm not just renting out this space and like pretending. Like that movie. What's that movie, Frank, with Leonardo DiCaprio where he goes oh, around um, catch me if you can? Is that it? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Where where he's at he's actually pretending that he's this emergency room doctor and he's throwing up in his hand as somebody comes in with a broken bone because he's not a doctor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we leave, um, Cody's um, self-sabotage. Maybe you got a story, a personal story about self-sabotage, you know, how how the the imposter syndrome perhaps leads to self-sabotage. Yeah, well, I think think the biggest, I'm really glad you brought that up at the beginning because I was thinking of it coming into this podcast of, and I think one of the biggest things that imposter syndrome does in regards to self-sabotage is it doesn't let us take risks. Um, It sort of stops us in the preliminary yeah, it sort of stops us in the preliminary stage of of, um, of of trying something new or accepting a new endeavor. Um, it's the part of us that says, oh, I'm, you know, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm lucky just to be here. Why would I try to do something even better for myself or to go take that next step, that next leap? Um, and that is, I mean, so that is self-sabotage. Yeah, <laughs> I like, don't I'm, have I'm, that. I'm voluntarily holding myself back. Right. I don't think I don't have that (laughs) at all. I mean, I I can self-sabotage about like working out and stuff like that. But when it comes to business, where's the cliff? I'm jumping off of it without a parachute. (laughs) (laughs) I just surround myself with very grounded, caring people that say, Kristen, can we talk about this first? But that's an entre- that's an entrepreneur gene. But I understand what you're saying. And Frank is being so good about being my timekeeper. I love it. This is why Cody, because listeners, just so you know, Cody may be coming on to the network to co-host shows with me with his own series. You, we're we're talking about doing that, and uh, and so um, this is the great thing about co-hosting, Cody. I don't always have to be monitoring the clock like a fiend. Frank will say a cue of, well, as we did it with time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. The time because I've completely forgotten about it, which means I'm more relaxed during the show. That was a great question, Frank. Well, you know what it was, Cody and Kristen, is having done the radio, I knew we teased self-sabotage at the open. So we had to cover it before somebody may be listening for that last little bit. Thank oh, that's you. He's never even talked about self-sabotage. <laughs> yeah. That's called you being a professional more than even me. Frank. <laughs> no, I'm here so you can relax and doubt yourself, Kristen. There we go. <laughs> I'm here. It's fodder to laugh at later, but okay. Cody, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Sure. Um, so uh, I, like I said, the last in the last um, episode, I am a therapist at South Bay Child and Family Therapy. Um, I am accepting more hours, so I'm definitely. Since the last time I was like, I'm pretty full. 
I've been able to open up my schedule a little bit more. So if you do have, if there are families in the South Bay area, my email is codytherapy6 at gmail.com. And you can find me on the website as well, which is uh, southbaychildandfamilytherapy.com. And where is that um, located, Cody? It's located in Hermosa Beach. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful. In California. Um, yes. And I should, yes. Because we have California. listeners all over the globe. People in, in England are going to be like, where in the hell is he talking? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So, so Cal only, so I guess California residents, that's where I am. And then um, I'm still, actually, I was, I, um, if you can, if you want to know more information about uh, imposter syndrome, um, I actually, my blog is the, the human experience blog. So it's um, exactly the way I said it. Uh, and it's, I actually do have a blog from, you'd have to go down a little bit, but it's from late August um, on imposter syndrome. And oh, nice. uh, I sort of went, in, I went in depth on the topic and I, I really, really, I, and part of what I, I talked to Frank about is how I really hope that I'm able to speak on it a little bit more as, and hopefully in this new avenue that I'm trying to navigate through, which is doing the podcasting and yeah. doing more speaking, speaking. Um, arrangements. For sure. Yeah, we'll that talking. <laughs> yeah. That talking, that would be fantastic. Awesome. Well, Cody, thanks so Anyone much for coming on. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you I was going to say, any listeners who have any connections in, the, in terms of speaking gigs and stuff like that, hit me up. <laughs> uh, Frank is probably the biggest, I mean, the stuff that he has done just for our network, it being just a newcomer to us, Frank, um, has been amazing. So I want to make sure everybody goes to thementalhealthcomedian.com also. <laughs> plug, 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 Frank, because he's, yes, he does amazing. It's so generous with your time, Frank. I mean, really, it's you've just been fantastic. Oh, thanks. And Cody and I had a long chat, and I said, you know, put a little six-minute demo together, and I'll be happy to ship it off to my college agents, see if they have, um, you know, see if it's uh, if they have an interest in, in um, and if not, then there are other, you know, there are other agents out there we can submit to. So great. Oh, well, thank you, thank you both so much, and we will uh, come back and chat again. Oh, I just want everybody to know that I deserve this co-hosting spot. You guys are probably aware of that now. I have no problem. And, that's, a, that's a very good point because here I am and I'm like, whew, Kristen and I just talked about co-hosting. I, I wonder if I should still go for that. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Some... <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, and that's and that's Frank. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and enjoying these moments with us on Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show.
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.